Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning time together. Hope you're prepared to learn and have your Bible handy and maybe your coffee hot or your orange juice. Or if you're really not religious, you may have a mimosa this morning that you can drink while we while we explore some uh, some really good truths this morning. This morning we're gonna we're going to be putting a depth measure on how big your Jesus is. That's the title of the teaching this morning, How Big Is Your Jesus? So as I go through this, I want you to pay particularly close attention as we progress through these, uh, through these steps. And I think that you're gonna get an accurate measure, maybe on some level, of where you're at in this journey and what lies ahead for you as you continue to move forward. I want to begin with a scripture over in 1 John chapter 3, familiar verse of scripture. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, it's a verse that we've come to see differently than we did back in our church days. Uh, we used to attribute this verse to uh, talking about second coming of Jesus. This verse has nothing to do with the second coming of Jesus. It has to do with your progressive revelation of him and what takes place as you see him more clearly. So let me, let me just read this verse. He says, Beloved, now are we the children of God. Right now, today, presently, we're the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Lots of room to grow, lots of room to expand, lots of room to move. It hasn't yet been revealed what we shall be. I like that. I really like that because this journey never gets boring, never gets tiresome. We we never have come to a place like we did in church where we knew the doctrines, we knew the scriptures, we pretty well knew what the pastor was going to say. Every message, it was pretty much around the same three points in a poem and make an invitation for people to come forward and accept Jesus. But this verse says, it has not yet appeared what we shall be. And I take that literally today, but it says this, but we know that when he is revealed, that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Now we somehow, we somehow got a second coming out of that verse. Verse has nothing to do with second coming. Has to do with about a with a progressive revelation of Jesus. And as your revelation of Jesus progresses, then what you see is also going to progress, and you're going to be conformed to what you see. It, let me read it again for you in that light. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know this: that when he is revealed, when revelation comes of him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, what this, what this teaching this morning is all about is seeing him more clearly and uh, bigger than we've ever seen him before with the full understanding that as that takes place, you're going to become like that which you see. So he says very clearly, it hasn't been revealed to us what our, what our potential really is. And the, the, the potential does not come by self-improvement. He tells us in his second verse, third chapter of 1 John, that the, the progressive revelation comes as we see him more clearly. We're progressively, continually becoming like him. That's why the last part of that verse says, for we shall see him clearly. We'll see him accurately as he is. I wonder this morning how accurately we really see him. You know, we feel like we're pretty enlightened, like we've come a long way on the journey. I bet our minds would be totally blown if we all of a sudden could see him in his absolute fullness, everything that he was all about. I, I, I bet we would go, my gosh, here I thought I was way down the road and I'm not even up to, uh, not even up to one on a scale of 10 yet, and yet I think I'm pretty enlightened. So how many have discovered that the more grace that you walk into, how many of you discovered that the more clearly that you see Jesus, that that picture gets sharper and you find yourself effortlessly being changed into what you see? And I tried for a, for a lot of years to make myself conform to what I perceived Jesus to be. I think we all did. We all would get a picture of what we thought Jesus was like. Then we would try to make ourselves fit that pattern or fit that picture. That's not how it happens. John says that it comes by revelation. When the revelation comes, the transformation becomes automatic and you become like the clearer, sharper picture that you're now seeing. Paul said it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter three, what is it, verse 18? 
He said that we all with an open face, no, no, no veil in front, no blinders, we all with an open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we're being changed into the same image from glory to glory. So Paul says pretty much what John says. You're being changed into what you see. So as your, your, as your picture of Jesus, as your picture of the Christ changes, then you're going to change also. So that's why I do this thing at the Digital Cathedral, because my job is to not only get me changed and conformed, but my calling is to teach and help you get changed and conformed into what we are seeing. And we're seeing a whole lot more than we ever saw before. So this, this second verse of, uh, of 1 John chapter 3 is a, is a progression. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a never-ending. And it, and it continually expands. Listen, it expands by revelation, okay? So as the revelation gets deeper, sharper, clearer, then the life that we live becomes sharper and clear and into more of an image of the one that we're, that we're seeing. So Paul, Paul gave a great insight. And this is a verse I wanted to get to uh, because I want, I'm talking this morning about how big is your Jesus, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a measure on the progression that I have come through over the years. I've had s seven distinct uh, major shifts on how I saw Jesus and it's changed me seven different times in seven different ways. But Paul, Paul said something that I think brings it really into sharp focus. Uh, you, you'll never know who you are until you know who he is. That's what I have found out through these seven steps, through these seven absolute progressions that I have found out. The more that I, I found out about him, the more I see him, the more I have found out who I am, and the more that I have actually changed to conform to him. I got a ways to go yet, I'll confess that. But I'll tell you what, I'm enjoying the trip, I'm enjoying the journey, and I hope that you are too. So when revelation of who he is drops into your spirit, you're gonna be conformed to be just like him. And it's not gonna be something that you have to try to, to make yourself become or make yourself do. It's going to be another step in the progression of discovery of who you are by seeing who he is. So Paul Paul said this, and this is a this is a verse that we probably never heard taught on in church. It's one of those many that we never heard taught on, but it um, it, it 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 packs a wallop. And I remember spending a little bit of time on it when we went through uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, because it is it is a a revelatory verse. Listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, this is one of those verses you may want to highlight in your Bible so that you can pull up on it at any time and meditate on it. This is a great meditation verse. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each of us, but to each one of us, grace was given. But to each one of us, grace was given. Now, how much grace do we have? How much grace do we actually have in life? He says that we have been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift, there has been grace given to you. So there's two parts to this verse that I want you to get a hold of. First part is this. Everybody has a grace gift that has been direct deposited into our life. You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. You didn't pray for it. Didn't believe for it. Didn't have faith for it. It has been imputed to us. That's exactly what Paul is saying. To every one of us, grace has been given. And the amount of grace, this is mind-blowing. The amount of grace that we've been given is equal to the measure of the gift of Christ. So how, how big is your Jesus? How big, how big of a measure do you put on that gift of Jesus that's been given to you? Because however big you measure him, that's how much grace you're walking in. That's how much grace you've understood. That's how much grace you have revelation of. And the second thing he says in that verse is that you're going to experience that grace as your understanding and your revelation of that gift enlarges or as the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you this morning seven progressive steps that how my eyes have opened seven different times about this measure of the gift of grace that, that we have been benefited with, that has come to us as, as part of the covenant, as part of all that Jesus died to give to us, this, this incredible measure of grace. 
But to each one of us has been given the measure of the gift of grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So that's why I put a title on this, on this teaching, How Big Is Your Jesus? I can tell you how big your Jesus is by how much grace you walk in. So let me ask you this morning, what is the measure that you've placed on the gift? Because that's the question. We've been given grace according to the measure of the gift. So how big have you measured the gift of Jesus? How big have you measured him for humanity? How big have you measured him for your life? How, how big have you measured him uh, looking back and looking forward? Is the measure increasing because it should? It has to if we're going to continue to grow. How big is your Jesus? The measure that you have of him will be a direct measure of the grace that you're experiencing. If you want to experience more grace, then you got to get a bigger Jesus. That's just the way it happens. So I'm going to help you to find your measuring stick this morning. Can I do that? I'm going to help you to find how, how big your Jesus is. Let, let me just walk you through some of this. Uh, I, I'm going to take you on a personal journey. Uh, I don't talk much about myself, even though I'm a very interesting person. I'll tell you right now, I'm very interesting. I don't say much about me, but I thought I would tell you a little bit about how the measure has increased in my life. And somewhere along this trail, along this journey, you may find yourself today. And some of you may, I'm going to give you seven uh, shifts, major shifts that have happened in my life. And some of you may be eight, nine, ten shifts. You're further down the journey than I am, and that's fine. That's great. I'm still, I'm still growing. I'm still blowing and going, so no problem. But I want to I just relate to you my journey on my measure of the gift of Christ and you can see then, you're gonna, I'm going to show you in direct correlation how much grace that actually you live in. All right, my first measure was this. All right, my, here's my first, here was my first measure of the gift of Christ. I saw him as my Savior. At seven years old, I prayed the magic prayer. It was in a, a little church of the Nazarene in Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, it was after the service, the pastor made a, a call, and I remember it well. I was seven years old. It was the first time I accepted Jesus. Now, in the Church of the Nazarene, you could lose your salvation, so I don't know how many times I got saved between the time I was 7 and 21 or 20. I don't know. I got saved a lot of times. Every time there was a revival, I got saved because they would always find something in my life that I was doing wrong, someplace I was missing the mark, some sin that I wasn't even aware of until they brought it up. And then I'd say, yeah, that's, I, that's me. And so then I would get saved again. But my first measure of the gift of Christ was praying the prayer and accepting Jesus as my Savior. Very simple, very simple. That was how I measured Jesus. That's what I thought he did. I thought that he came. His mission, his sole mission was to come to earth and die on a cross so that if I asked him to forgive my sins and I asked him to come live in my heart, that he would come live in my heart and he would be my personal Savior. And at that point, God would accept me into the family. That was the measure of the gift of Christ that I had. And that lasted from the time I was seven up till I was 29. The whole time I was growing up. The preacher factory that I went to and did my undergraduate work, that's what they taught me. That's, that's how it was. You know, from that, from that point forward, it was all about trying to live a life that was free from sin, of doing anything wrong, so that you wouldn't lose your, your standing, you wouldn't lose your sonship. That's the measure of the gift of grace. It, it kind of was good, but it took a lot of self-effort. It was that period of time that I was living for Jesus. Exhausting. Man, it was exhausting. The level, the, the, the level should have been here, but I could only maybe get on a good day up to here. Right? I could never, never get. So a lot of my friends, a lot of people I knew just gave up, walked away from it, said, look, I can never hit that, uh, attain that level of perfection. So there's no sense of me even trying. So they gave up. But such a small measure of grace, right? Such a small measure on the gift that had been given to us. I didn't think it had been given to me. I thought... Yeah, grace is a word we use in church a lot. And my understanding of grace was, yes, God would favor you if you were obedient to him. If you didn't sin, he would look on you and smile. And that's what grace was all about. Now, I was, that lasted up till I was 29. I was pastoring a, a church 
Fast forward from age seven to age 29, pastoring a church in Flint, Michigan. And some of my people were slipping out of that legalistic evangelical church I was pastoring and they were going over to the Assemblies of God at night for the night service. And they would come back and tell me what, what a wonderful service it was and the music was awesome. They had drums and guitars and you know, what we had in the Church of the Nazarene was an organ and a piano, that was it. Drums and guitars, that, th those were bar instruments. We didn't play those instruments in church, they were bar instruments and we didn't have anything to do with them guitars. Pentecostals had all that stuff. Well, one, one Sunday night I slipped over there. To be honest with you, I really liked it, I enjoyed it. There was a, a life of vibrancy that I never experienced. Long story short, you walk along the bank of the Pentecostal River, <laughs> it gets slippery, you're gonna fall in, and I fell in. So uh, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit is what we called it, and that opened up, so my measure of Christ grew at that point. This was the second one. All of a sudden now I saw him as being the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. So my measure went from just Savior to now he's baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and that opened up a whole new dimension for me. No longer was I living for Jesus, but Jesus was now living through me. And, and, and I began to get uh, uh, teaching on gifts, gifts of the Spirit. I didn't know anything about gifts of the Spirit. Never heard any teaching on word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Only thing I knew about was tongues and that was wrong, that was evil, that was of the devil. That's what we were taught. It was passed away, it wasn't for today. Uh, it was for the day of Pentecost. Didn't know anything about prophecy, knew nothing of those things. But now I was living for Jesus, and I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, which was a, a, supposedly an, an endowment with power, so that now I could demonstrate his life through me. I, so what we wanted to make sure was that our life was clean as a whistle, because you wanted to be a proper vessel through which he could flow. So we spent a lot of time making sure the vessel was clean. We would examine ourselves. Every time we took communion, any sin that we thought we had or didn't, we'd just pray and ask God to forgive us for sins we didn't even know, sins of omission. <laughs> sins of commission, omission. Commission, you knew you, you, you did, and omission were those you didn't know you did, but you wanted to get the pipe clean so he could flow through it. So we would ask forgiveness of those things. But I was equipped. And so my, what happened as a, as a charismatic is that my workload increased, right? Because I wanted, uh, it was up to me. I was the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus. If, it was, if he was gonna get it, if he was gonna get her done, it was gonna have to be through me <clears throat> and everybody that believed like me. We thought we were the ones sent into the earth, endued with power to demonstrate for him. So he, we, we, were, he, we were living uh, a life that he would flow through us. He would give a word through us. We would, you know, he'd heal through us. It was all about what he would do through us. So we spent a lot of time tearing, waiting for him to show up, uh, give us an anointing for a particular endeavor that we wanted to do. But my, my point is my major increase. No longer was Jesus just my savior. He was now the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And that was my measure. That was my gift for the next 25 years. I went through a lot of things, went through the Word of Faith, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, went through uh, the Deliverance Wave, went through the Prophetic Wave. Those all came through the charismatic uh, move or Pentecostal move that happened in the uh, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s with the Prophetic and Deliverance becoming real strong in the early 90s. And all those things we would minister. See, we'd minister as, as tools of God. So from 29, years as Jesus as Savior, next 25, he's my baptizer in the Holy Spirit, operating in gifts, uh, prophesying, speaking in tongues, uh, interceding, travailing, all of that stuff. So that put me at, a, at about 54 years of age. When I, when it, when I got my, my third shift, this was huge. This was huge. This is what blew me away. Number three, I got a revelation of God as a father, as a perfect father. This was my theology busting belief that shattered everything that I had uh, visually conceptualized in my mind God to be. And this took my measuring stick past anything I had ever imagined. It was an event that blind, blindsided me. But when I got a revelation of God is my father, 
And I remember it so well in 2003, 2003, I, I would sit in my office over here in, in Houston and I would take a legal pad and I'd write down all the characteristics of a good father. And every time I would list out all I could, he would say, I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I'm, I, I, I'm better than that. It destroyed my judgmental, angry, hell-sending deity that I had constructed in my mind because of what I had been taught and all of the uh, continual biased teaching that I had absorbed over 54 minus 7, over 47 years. You understand that? That was a long time. So in 2003, I was 54 years old, and all of a sudden I got this revelation of the Father that he was love plus nothing. It was an unconditional love. There could be no conditions added to it. Now here's where my, my measure of Jesus grew. There were two scriptures that blew me away with this third shift that came into my life. One of them was John, I'm gonna read them for you. One is John chapter six in verse 46. And I don't see how anybody can, can uh, read these verses without being changed. Now you understand at this time, uh, 2003, I had been a pastor for, gosh, uh, 35 years, 34 years, 34 years I had been a pastor up to that point. Some of these things I never saw before. And this verse right here in, in John chapter six in verse 46, there were two verses that really struck me about this fatherhood of God. And I tell you what, my mind just, my mind went on tilt when I saw him as, as a father. Look what it says in John chapter six and verse 46. Jesus said this, not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God, he has seen the father. Nobody has seen the Father except the one that came from the Father, which is Jesus. Now, this is, what, this is what blew me away. That means Isaiah didn't see the Father. It means Moses didn't see the Father. Ezekiel, Jeremiah. It means none of the prophets had seen the Father. There was only one true, reliable reporter of the Father, and that was Jesus. He's the only one that saw him. And then the other, the other verses that blew me away was the Mount of Transfiguration scene in, John, in Matthew chapter 17, the first five verses where he takes Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration. You know the story. And before their eyes, Jesus was transfigured. And lo and behold, Elijah, representing the prophets, and Moses, representing the law, show up on the Mount with Jesus. I mean, what a scene we've got. We've got Elijah, we got Moses, and we got Jesus. If I'd have been Peter, James, or John, I mean, it, it don't get any better than that, right? So we've got all the representations, and out of heaven came a voice, and this is what this is what changed me, along with John chapter six, verse forty-six, that Jesus was the only one that had ever seen the Father. The Father speaks out of heaven in Matthew chapter seventeen, in that fifth verse, and He said, "This is my Son; hear ye Him." I, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Didn't say, hear Moses. Didn't say, hear the prophets. It said, hear the son. That absolutely changed me. So I concluded this. Here's what I concluded. That if I didn't see it in Jesus, I wasn't gonna believe it about the father. So as Bill Johnson says, Jesus became my perfect theology. He became my perfect theology. He became the lens through which I saw everything. He became the lens through which I read scripture. So if it didn't line up, if I read in the Old Testament where God told people to go in and slaughter all the men, women, children, and animals, I didn't believe that story was correct. Now that began to cause a problem because up to that point, I believed in inerrancy of scripture. Every jot, every tittle, every word was, was, was the word of God. I never could fit the Old Testament with the New Testament. I tried like a jigsaw puzzle, but it wouldn't fit, but it didn't compute because that's not what I had been taught for 47 years. Jesus came, listen to me. This is what the measure brought me. So my measure of Christ went from savior to baptizer and Holy Spirit to perfect representator of the Father, the one that shows us the Father. Jesus came to clear up every misconception that the law and the prophets had brought to humanity concerning the Father, cleared up every misconception. He brought the Father to the, to the proper light. He began to show us what the Father was really about. Moses did not show us what the Father was properly like, nor did any of the prophets. It took Jesus to come to show us what Daddy is like. Now that opened me up for grace. 
All of a sudden, I begin to see Jesus when Jesus said, pray for your enemies. That's grace. He said, forgive those that despitefully use. That's grace. And it wasn't a stipulation like if they repented or they were sorry, forgive them. No, it was grace without limits. So, you know, we begin to, at that point, begin to talk about hyper grace. And I had to separate radical grace, hyper grace from grace because, yeah, I believed in grace. But the grace that I believed in was contingent on my obedience, was contingent on my not sinning, and then God would have favor on me. So it was kind of like a transaction. I would, my part of the transaction was to be obedient and not sin, and then his part was to show favor. So I spent all my life, but when I saw the Father through Jesus, that whole thing changed. I began to see him and know a lot of things that I had sincerely, let me tell you, things that I had wrongly but sincerely thought, taught, and believed for years, not just as a believer, but as a pastor. You don't think that's a hard one to get over? I, I had always, I'd taken a, a mixture of Old Testament perception that men had, raw, had written looking through a glass dimly and darkly. And I'd brought that over into the New Testament and tried to get it to fit together. I, and it just wouldn't fit. But now all of a sudden, I, I begin to see truth all over scripture that I'd never seen. I begin to, you know, find verses like this one in, that I read to you, these two verses, they all of a sudden came alive. I thought, I honestly thought I was reading a different Bible. One day I actually, I actually flipped it over and looked at the binder to make sure I was still reading my new King James. Because I saw things I never saw before. I'm teaching things I've never taught before. I saw new truth all over scripture, but more powerfully rising up within me because I was looking with new eyes at a new Bible. So when I got the revelation of the fatherhood of God, with that came grace, pure grace, radical grace, not conditional grace. It came unconditional forgiveness. Okay, so that's three. Number four was this, and this was another huge shift. I discovered that Jesus was the sender of the spirit of truth. I, I, I'd read that before, but I, did, it, I didn't really understand it. But now I understood it. Jesus said, it's expedient for you. It's your advantage that I go away. And he said, if I go away, he said, don't worry about it. I'm going to send one back to you, the comforter, the paraclete, one that will walk alongside of you exactly like I did, and he's going to lead you into all truth. You can read it in uh, John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. I'm not going to read it because I, I, I got a lot I want to say this morning. And so I wanna make sure I get through this message. I can't make this two parts. I gotta get this done this morning because I want you to see all seven fit together. So number four, I saw him as the sender of the spirit of truth. Now that, that changed, that, that shifted. So savior, baptizer, Holy Spirit, revealer of the father. Now he's the sender of the spirit of truth. Now this had a profound effect on me because now my primary source of truth became the spirit of truth that was in me, that was within me. I had to begin to rely on this barometer that was inside to show me what was right and what was true. So when I read my Bible, I wasn't at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anymore based on the lens of perception that I had so highly developed for years and years of education and pastoral ministry and study. But what I study, what's crazy is when you're back in that, in that, place that I was in, the only things you study are the things that agree with what you already believe. So it just becomes confirmational bias all the time. And in wagon, the wagon wheel goes deeper and deeper into that rut. And that's why it's hard to get people out of it when they've been in it a long time. It's a miracle that I ever came out. It really is. I remember the day I walked all my CDs, all the, all the cassette tapes back from the day, all the teaching, all the know, everything. I took it to the dumpster and threw it away in 2003 because I knew it was a new day, it was a new start, a new beginning. And a lot of people that were with me weren't ready for a new start and a new beginning. They wanted more confirmational bias. But when I began to see that Jesus, my measure of Jesus increased this fourth place to where he was the sender of the spirit of truth. So now I had to begin to trust and believe what I heard within over other sources that I had relied totally upon to tell me what was truth. And so I began to experience more grace out of this because the spirit of truth that was in me began to show more grace. I began to, to, to extend grace to people that before I would have judged. I would extend grace to people that before I would not have forgiven, that had wronged me. 
but I began to extend, extend grace to them. Now here's, here's, here's the dynamic part of the spirit of truth. And this is, this is a hard part for many people even today to, to really get their head around or to accept. I was no longer chained to a literal interpretation of a book. With this coming, with my measure of Jesus becoming the center of the spirit of truth, my measure increased to where I no longer saw scripture as being inerrant. It no longer was the fourth member of the Godhead, if you know what I'm saying. It was no longer infallible. I could read a story, if it didn't line with Jesus, the spirit of truth would draw the truth out for me, and I could go on without feeling, uh, you know, that I was sliding this truth that I, I better not contradict. Number five was this. My measure increased again, and my theology had to adjust, and I saw Jesus now as the last Adam. This was big. This was really big. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45, and again, I'm giving you verses that in 35 years of ministry, I never taught on. I, I, I have, I've read my Bible, I don't know how many times through, New Testament especially, I don't know how many times I've read, I read it, it just went right over my head. Now all of a sudden, I'm seeing things. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. Can anybody relate with what I'm talking about? You got new eyes, a new Bible. All of a sudden, you're seeing truth and revelation you never saw before. And it comes back to that 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 that I kicked off with this morning. That it hasn't appeared what we shall be, but we know this, that as he's revealed, as revelation comes, as that heavy revy comes, and your measure on him increases, then you also become conformed more to walking as he walked. It's not trying to make yourself. The revelation, revelation is a conformer to the image of Christ. That's when you believe. You don't believe till you get the revelation. You can say you believe, but you don't believe till you get the revelation of it. Now watch, here was the revelation of Jesus. My measure increased when I saw Jesus as the last Adam. And it's clear as a bell right here in Scripture. It says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. See, there's only really been two men that ever walked the planet, Adam and Jesus. First Adam, last Adam. Now, last Adam totally undid. Everything that first Adam did, whatever you think first Adam did, whatever effect, and I'm not going to get into it, but whatever effect you think first Adam had on the human race is inconsequential because last Adam undid it. Last Adam always trumps first Adam. For example, in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, I read you verse 45. If you come back to verse 22, another verse that I, I never taught on, never saw it, never, never dawned on me, it says very clearly, that in first Adam all died, even so in last Adam or in Christ shall all be made alive. I never saw that. That, that tells you that Jesus had a greater impact on humanity than what first Adam did. See, every evangelical I know is a universalist when it comes to first Adam. They believe he, he put everybody into sin, that everybody has an endemic nature, that everybody is born into sin. That is a bunch of hogwash. I'm going to tell you why. It's, it's very clear, very plain. Okay? It's very, if Jesus was the last Adam, then there could be no Adams that follow Jesus. If everybody was born in Adam, then all had been made alive in Christ. In the last Adam, nobody, regardless of what you think about the Adamic nature, whatever you were taught, let me tell you, there is no more Adams. No more Adams. Nothing remains of first Adam except the illusion that has been drilled into your head by, by religion that has created this, this gulf, this separation, that religion has so conveniently come along and given you a formula to try to bridge that gap that ties you to them, ties you to their denomination. If you're a Baptist, it's water baptism. If you're a United Pentecostal, it's uh, you know uh, accepting Jesus, praying in tongues, and being baptized in Jesus' name only. Church of Christ, they're the only true church. They've got their formula. The Presbyterians believe that only a select few. See, it all comes back to this idea of separation. So when you see that Jesus was the last Adam, you see that you're beginning. Listen, 
your beginning did not start at the cross. It was before then. It was not in the fall of Adam. It was before then. It was not at creation. It was even before then. And I'm going to get into that in, in just a couple of minutes. But what I want you to see is that first Adam died on the cross. You were crucified with Christ. That edemic nature, whatever you think it is, whatever impact you think it had, died on the cross. And when Jesus walked out of the tomb, you resurrected with him. And, and Peter tells us that we were born again, birthed again, begotten again, same word, from death to life through the resurrection. So when you walked out of the tomb, you didn't walk out at that time having anything to do with, with first Adam. You were totally in second Adam. And you ascended with him and you're seated with him together in heavenly places. All right. So that was a huge shift. So I've, I saw Jesus as Savior, baptizer in the Holy Spirit, revealer of the Father, sender of the Spirit of Truth, and now he's the last Adam. I mean, things are, things are getting out of control. <laughs> My Jesus is getting so big I can't control him anymore. We used to want to control Jesus. He, he, he didn't like what we didn't like and he liked what we liked. See, Jesus, he's out of control now. I mean, he's getting so big now I can't hardly get my head around him. Number six, sixth shift was this. I saw that when Jesus said, it is finished, that it really was. There's nothing that humanity, there's nothing I can add to it with my confession, my faith, my belief, my trust, nothing I can add. When Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. If you believe that, that he and he alone, without your help, fulfilled God's will for all, then your measure's gonna grow. Your measure's gonna grow. You see him as... What, what John called the savior of the world. In, in, John, in John chapter six and in, in, uh, in verse 38, it is finished. Look at this, here's what Jesus said about himself. In John chapter six, I wanna read you two verses. These, you know, we're hitting some stuff this morning that's mind blowing to the religious people. If you've got friends that are evangelical, charismatic, this is foreign to them. They have no idea, you're, you're out in deep water. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And I knew that. But did he really finish it? Did he complete it? Well, let's back up just a couple of chapters to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And let's read verse 34. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said this. My food is to do the will of him to, that sent me, watch, okay, watch, and to finish his work. Now, the only question you have to answer is, do you believe that Jesus finished the work that he was sent to do? And Luke puts it like this, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Did he get the job done? So now my measure of the gift of Christ has gone from Savior, baptized the Holy Spirit, revealer of the Father, sender of the spirit of truth, right? Last Adam, and now he has finished everything for all humanity, for all time, and there's nothing I can do to complete it. I have to say, job done, done deal, it's over, it is absolutely finished. My measure of the gift says it's finished, it means done deal, mission accomplished, nothing left to do. I, I can rest in that, I can now, enter back into rest in that. Now, all right, now here's where I'm at today. Here's where I'm at today. This is my seventh shift, and I'm progressing through this, but I see I see some things on the horizon that's gonna be number eight and number nine, but right now, here's, here's where I sit. Revelation is clear, sharper. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in more grace, understand grace, living in it, extending it more than ever. My Jesus is bigger than he's ever been, but now I see Jesus as this. I see him as the revealer of who we have always been, but we didn't know it. We were always sons. We were always accepted. We were always perfect, blameless, and above reproach in the eyes of the Father, but we were totally blind to it. Do you remember what, remember what Paul said? He said, when it pleased the Father who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal the Christ that was in me, didn't reveal Christ to him. He revealed the Christ that was in him. And that's what happened to all of us. We call that getting born again or whatever. All that happened is in that time, not when you just did it out of 
some decision. But when you really saw what happened was you, you awakened and you didn't know the verbiage because you hadn't, you hadn't never seen it in scripture. Nobody taught it. The spirit of truth didn't have the, enough freedom in your life to reveal it to you. But all of a sudden you begin to see who you have always been. We were blind to just how secure we've always been and how big this measure of grace that we read about in Ephesians 4, 7, that this measure of grace that was given to us, that was imputed, direct deposited into us, we had no idea how big it was. So look, look, how, look how this is expanded. My, my thinking on grace went from, if I'm obedient, if I trust God, I don't sin, then he looks on me with favor, to now all of a sudden I'm seeing that seven steps later that he's revealing to me the grace that was poured out in my life shows me that I was always accepted, always loved, and always a son, not from the cross, not from the, not from, uh, the fall, not from creation, but from who I had always been. God as a perfect father blew, blew divine breath into our nostrils. But before he blew that breath into our nostrils, I'm going to give you four verses of scripture that you never heard taught. I've probably given you eight or 10, 12 verses this morning that nobody ever, nobody teaches on. You, you go to a charismatic church, you never hear these verses. I use them quite a bit because I, I want to I drive them deep. But here's who you've always been, Ephesians 1, 4. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Somebody said, well, that was just Christians. Well, if you're going to stick with that, how did, how did he know you were going to make a decision for Christ because he left the decision up to you, right? He left it up to your free will, you were taught, and yet he secured you, Ephesians 1.4. He absolutely secured you before the foundation of the world. How about Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10? For we are his workmanship, watch, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God before ordained. You were created in Christ Jesus. You were never outside of Christ Jesus. Why didn't, why didn't anybody ever teach me that I was created in Christ Jesus? I was taught that I was separated from Christ Jesus and I was always working my way back to get to be one with him. Never could quite accomplish it, never could be good enough or strive enough. But Paul said, man, you were created in him. How about Romans chapter 8, verse 29? That those that he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He foreknew all of us. Foreknowing, God, God's not a respecter of people. He didn't foreknow some to sonship and some to go to hell and burn and be barbecued forever. Every person God foreknew and every person that he foreknew, he predestined, he pre-wired, he hooked us up to be conformed to the image of his son. This was number seven. This was step number seven. My, my Jesus now is so big that he had me handled and protected and secured before the foundation of the world. How about this one from, from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? I'm going to read it for you. It says this, Who has saved us and called us, not according to our works, but according to his own will and grace, which was given to us in Christ before time began. When were you saved? Before time began. That's how big the measure of grace is. So when I talk about how big is your Jesus, you've got to get a big Jesus to be able to walk in that degree of measure of grace. If you go back to the guy that just thinks his grace is Jesus, his savior, and he's He's given him his ticket to heaven and his get out of hell free card. And that's all the grace is, but he's just giving you the grace because you ask for it. And you come along and you tell him that you were saved and called, not according to your confession, your belief, your faith, but according to his will and grace, which was given to you in Christ before time began, he would not believe it. You can show him you can show him the verse. You can read it. You can have him read it. He still is going to try to explain it away. He's going to say, well, that's only for Christians or that's only for the elect. Hogwash. Hogwash. His measure of the gift of grace and the measure of what he pertains, how he perceives Christ is way too small. I've just given you four verses there that show where my measure is right now. Always been perfect, always been righteous, always been blameless, always been accepted. So 
I, w- I want to just start landing the plane right now, but I, I want to show you how big the, the apostles actually measured Jesus. How did the apostles measure the gift of Christ? How did they measure the release of grace that we could walk in today? You know how Matthew measured Jesus? <clears throat> Matthew measured him as the good shepherd, the one that would leave the 90 and nine to make sure that he could get the one. Matthew measured Jesus, the gift of grace. He put a measure on Jesus as a good shepherd that would make sure that every sheep got back to the fold, that no sheep would be outside the fold. No lamb would be lost. No lamb would, they wouldn't just move on to green pastures and forget that lamb that was stuck over in the crevice of the rock there. No, Jesus would search and search and search until he found it, until they were safely returned and the flock was complete. Mark saw Jesus as fully God and fully man. In one, in, one, in one person, Jesus, there was the fullness of the Christedness as well as the fullness of humanity. It's called the hypostatic union. 100% God, 100% man. The, the one Jesus represented too. He represented God and he represented man. They were tied together. And he brought that in and tied us together. We enjoy the same hypostatic union. We're fully man, we're fully divine. We are partakers of the divine nature. Mark measured Jesus that big. Luke measured him, and I just intimated it. Luke measured him as the man on a mission. And the mission that he was on was not only to seek that which was lost, but to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 says Jesus came to seek and to save. Twofold mission, seek and save. I always taught he came to seek, but you got to do something to get saved. That's not what Luke put the measure on. Luke put the measure on of Jesus coming to seek and to save that which was lost. Again, the question is, was he successful? If he wasn't successful, we're in big trouble. You gotta save yourself somehow. If all he did was come to seek you out and call you, but he didn't save you, then we gotta do something to save ourselves. That's not what Luke saw. Luke put the measure on seeking and saving that which was lost. John measured him not only in the Gospel of John, but also in 1 John. He measured him as the Savior of the world. Man, that's how John saw him. He was at number seven. He saw Jesus as the Savior of the world, the one that had had protected us and kept us from before time began. Paul measured him. Paul had a measure of Jesus. He said, in this man Jesus dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Think about that. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2.9. And then he blows us away. He says, all right, I'm I'm gonna give you a measure that you can measure this gift too. In Jesus dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, verse nine, verse 10, and you are complete in him. That right there, brother, that's, that takes that measure out further. The fullness, dare I say it, The fullness of the Godhead dwells within you. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Now, we have not grown and expanded to where we can handle that yet, but we're getting there. As the revelation of him becomes clear, we find out more who we are. All of a sudden, out pops the sides of the the grace box, and you got a bigger box, a bigger dimension, a bigger measure. So whatever, however you're measuring Jesus this morning here at the Digital Cathedral, however I'm measuring Jesus this morning, it's not big enough. It's not big enough. He's, he's far bigger than what I'm measuring this morning. When we are the children of God and we realize that and we understand it hasn't been revealed yet what we shall be. We're still seeing the great potential. We're still seeing out beyond where we're at. But we know this. We're confident of this that when he is being perpetually continually revealed to us and we're seeing him better every day, that we're going to be just like him. When we see him clearly, fully, exactly, that's what we're conformed to. Not because I'm trying to. It's not a WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's a natural pro- progression and growth to where that becomes your life. You, you are, Jesus was the word made flesh. Listen to me. You are flesh that's being made the word. And when he appears in fullness, you also will appear in the same degree of fullness. Herein is our love made perfect. 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, the judgment that occurred at the cross. I'm totally bold that sin was judged. We were declared righteous, justified, sanctified. We have boldness in that day of judgment because as Jesus is, last part of that 17th verse, 1 John 4, as he is, so are we in this present world. Period, paragraph, full stop, end of the story this morning at the Digital Cathedral. Hope you've been able to measure somewhere along the trail that you are. And I know that some of you are probably number eight, number nine, you're further down. And that's great because he wants your measure of grace to grow. But to each one of us, let me just say that seventh verse again in my closing. But to each one of us was given the measure of grace according to the gift of Christ. Let your gift continue to grow. Continue to unwrap it. It's going to take the ages to come, Paul said, to unwrap this gift of grace and the goodness that God has toward us. Love you guys. Thank you for being with me this morning. We'll pick up on it Wednesday night and we'll continue our progression as believers. God bless you. Thank you for your help and your support.